Disclosure, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Hey everyone, great podcast for you coming at you today. So this last week I had the pleasure to host Desarte Yarnway on the Wealth Crypto Podcast. He is a Sacramento guy too, which is cool. So finally got to meet somebody in person rather than just doing uh, the whole Zoom thing. But we cover a lot of ground. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. What's up, Desarte? How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. How you doing? Good, good. Um, so for everyone listening here, I uh, got... A new friend, a new guest, uh, Desarte Yarnway on. He, in my experience, like I've seen you all over the internet, you've been very well marketed. So I'm sure we could probably cover that at some point. But uh, Desarte D, also as he's known, um, just recently moved to Sacramento and is the founder CEO of Yarnway Wealth. So I don't know, D, where do uh, do you want to start? Um, Maybe start with Sacramento. First of all, you're being way too nice to me saying that uh, I'm well-marketed. You know, for anybody listening, whether you're an advisor, whether you are a business owner, whatever you do, marketing is hard, right? And when I first started my business, I was a one-man shop. So literally doing the marketing, doing the social media posts, trying to experiment with different things while running a practice, while serving my clients and trying to grow. Um, So the fact that you said that means a lot to me. So thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, I guess I'll do a quick introduction. My name is Desarte Yarnway. I am the founder and managing director of Yarnway Wealth Management here in Sacramento, California. We help California business owners scale and sell their businesses through exit planning, financial planning, and sound investment management. Um, I've been in the business for right around 10 or so years at this point, which makes me feel old. Um, but I think that with every year that passes, uh, I'm getting better at the job, getting more confident in what I do. And I'm able to serve more people, which has been great. Prior to becoming an advisor, which is what I've pretty much done since graduating uh, college, I was a football player uh, at the University of California, Berkeley, where I met a handful of clients who now are NFL uh, athletes. Um, I've come from San Francisco, where I was born and raised. Fun fact, I broke OJ's rushing record in high school, which is my dream as I'm having a beer. Um, amongst friends, right? Like I broke OJ Simpson's rushing yeah, yeah. in the city of San Francisco, which still stands today. And I'm just happy to be here, Ben. So again, thank you for letting me uh, come on your show so we can chat for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty cool that you beat Juice's uh, record. You're obviously way more adjusted than him. And, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I, would, I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. Um, but no, that's that's a cool, that's definitely a cool uh, bar stat that you can throw out for yourself for sure. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's like, there's a lot of things like we could cover, but what I was speaking about offline just before we started, um, I've always started these things with like my questions and we can certainly mm-hmm. those, but I'm, I think maybe a more interesting way to go is just like, you've got a lot going on in your life. Like what, yeah. what are you really focused on right now? I'd, I'd just be curious to see where you take that. Yeah. 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 So First and foremost, I'm a husband and a father first, right? So obviously I have a young daughter. She's one. I have a wife. We've been married a couple of years and we have recently uh, relocated to Sacramento. 
So, you know, we're focused on continuing to build community here in the city, continuing to find our network and our tribe, if you will, and obviously making sure that Sophia gets all that she needs from her parents and the environment that we create for her. So that's like my real job, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, professionally speaking, I've been focused on a couple things and watching trends on a couple things. So obviously this is the Wealth Crypto Podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of wealth things, right? First and foremost, I, I moved to Sacramento, California, because at the time, um, it was the second best place to start a business. Did you know that? What, how, um, how, long, how long ago was that? This was like two years, like a year and a half ago. Okay. I read this article. It was like, this is the second best place. It was already on our list. I have a sis, two sisters that live in Elk Grove. Okay, nice. Starting out of a couple places. Miami. I looked at Austin briefly because at the time I was focused on working with people in uh, equity compensation. Sure. But getting paid in equity. Scottsdale, yeah. Sacramento. So let me Man, tell you how we kind of people you know, think crazy with those four. <laughs> right, right. But Miami, we love to frequent Miami, and my family's West African. Okay. And the the weather and the temperament is like just Perfect. like it it is in West Africa, right? Yeah. Didn't go there. Off the list. Um, thankfully, Austin was just <laughs> too crazy. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of clients moving down there, but it's uh, kind of missed that one. Um, from a bang for buck standpoint. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Scottsdale, we would have been there by ourselves. It was just too hot too. Like oh, I yeah. love Scottsdale. I lived there for a year. Good golfing, good bars, good nightlife. But having a baby, probably not going to party. Like oh yeah, your time. your wife would have been real mad if she'd had to deliver that baby like in June, July, August in Scottsdale. Right, right. So settled on Sacramento, which at the time was a perfect place. Yeah. Now I started doing my research on Sacramento. It's like. Forbes ranks it the number one place in California to have a family. Um, did you know that? The, the, so I'm a, so for people who don't know, I've been born and raised in Northern California, Sacramento, my entire life. So I've seen yeah. kind of this growth of the city, mm -hmm. Greater Sacramento. But these stats are definitely new to me. So yeah. <laughs> number one place to have a family in California. Uh, number two place, I think, west of the Mississippi River to start a business. Okay, and just huh. a bunch of economic growth. From the time of the pandemic, we bought our house in 2021. And in that time period, so just that two-year sample window, um, Sacramento was the only major metropolitan area in California that experienced growth. So when you look at like see that. Los Angeles, San Francisco, yeah. um, San Diego, Sacramento, it was the only place that experienced growth. So the question, I think I'm getting a, a little away from the question here, but the question was, What's been top of mind? Family. Uh, number two is just building, right? So I've been really focused on building with a specialization in serving entrepreneurs scale and sell their businesses. Mm -hmm. um, people discount it, but I think in financial services, especially when you're on like the client facing side, it's all about solutions. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that um, no one man or woman, right? or non-binary if we're being politically correct, right? Mm -hmm. um, no one person can have all the answers. Sure. And I found that being an issue in our space where it's like the advisor, the relationship man manager wants to be um, the all, all things to all people. And it's just not, you can't do it. Um, not if you're going to deeply serve. Now, if you're just doing sure. an asset grab, Right. And you're like, hey, how much do you have? We'd have a one million dollar minimum. Bring your money over here. We're invest. We'll call you once a year. Um, yeah, sure. Right. Because then the people understand kind of what they're getting, I guess, from that advisor. 
better be performance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that scenario. But um to really deeply impact someone, you have to put yourself in their seat. Um, you have to almost experience what they're experiencing and yeah. uh and and give them the best advice to navigate their circumstance. So um that's been top of mind for me and just trying to create my entire business to serve a single ICP. I do a client profile, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's been one of the big things. I'll stop there. I don't know if you have any questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, there's there's <laughs> you kind of go off from there. Um what kind of came to mind for me is just kind of the evolution you went through of starting sort of traditional Wall Street financial services businesses and then mm-hmm. moving RA to you know better serve like you know your ideal clients, the people you wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. Where like, what would you say was important to you along that journey? What have you picked up, I guess, as like being an advisor, but then also a business owner too? Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, being an advisor, I wanted to make sure that I was a subject matter expert. And I found myself, particularly with equity compensation, mm-hmm. running into different compensation plans for every single company. Sure. Yeah. That was just like a time drain for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's on the advisor side and it's going to relate to the personal side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to be a subject matter expert so that no matter what the case was, I knew exactly what to do. Almost having a sort of a internal mental model or framework to deal with people that wanted to do X, Y, or Z, right? Like the, this is the path that I have to go down to find the solutions for that individual. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very hard when you're a generalist, right? I think it's very hard when you say like, hey, I want to do equity compensation for these 20 companies. But if you just got down to one, like I serve um, equity compensated executives at Microsoft, you can do that, right? So on the advisor side, I found that uh, more often than not, you know, especially when you go wirehouse or go like big Wall Street, it's all about the money and how you can extract revenue from every client household that you serve. Therefore, your focus isn't on being a subject matter expert, but it's more so about communicating enough detail to move money from one wallet to the next. I didn't like that game. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't for me. So by being a subject matter expert, I can say with full confidence that this is what you have to do if you are intending to grow your revenue, sell your business, do it in a way that you know keeps more money in your pocket while securing your retirement. That's a game that I can play and continue to get better at over time, right? Um, so number one, uh, through that journey, I found that, you know, being a subject matter expert is deeply important to me. On the personal side, time affluence is just a part of what I want to achieve in this lifetime. And um, I don't think that I could do that, you know, not even playing professional football. Because there's such a demand on your time for the money that you're being paid. Yeah. Um, Working big Wall Street, you know, or big brokerage or on a big high revenue producing team. There's such a demand on your time um, that you kind of have to commit to. And I found through entrepreneurship, if you if you put in the time, you build the structures, you get the right people on your team. You can find yourself out of the weeds of the day and in, in the vision mm-hmm. and enjoying a lot of the best things that life have to offer, has to offer, such as being with your kids. Such yeah. as spending time with your wife, such as, you know, perhaps traveling if that's what you like to do, right? But I found that those two things 
are extremely important to me as I kind of create my ideal life. Yeah. Do you, do you think about that as the air quotes, like lifestyle advisor or how, like, how do you, I get, cause where I, where I kind of sit sometimes a lifestyle advisor to those in the know can kind of be like, maybe a little bit of a derogatory thing. Like you work like, yeah. you know, 15 hours a week and you take mm-hmm. calls Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you're out the other five. Like, how do you kind of, I guess, yeah. how do you both, right? Like, how do you have that flexibility for your family, your travel, your interests, all that stuff, but then still provide like a top tier uh, advisory experience to your clients? Yeah. So first I just want to unpack the lifestyle advisor like definition, right? It was something that I used to subscribe to because I was doing so many other things. I was investing in startups. I was like consulting in other places. And I'm like, you know what? I just want a lifestyle practice that I can do with it, do what I want and work when I want. Type mm-hmm. of that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah. Every advisor has a lifestyle. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Every advisor, whether you're producing $2 million in annual recurring revenue, you have a lifestyle. The person that is working 15 hours a week has a lifestyle. So I think the difference is, do you want a solo practice or small practice or you want an enterprise business? Right. And I think we need to start like we, the way we talk about this has to be different. Mm -hmm. Right. You want a small business or are you trying to get an enterprise business at the end of the day? So yeah, I stopped subscribing to the, the lifestyle practice rhetoric. Because it's just about everyone has a lifestyle and you can make your business whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say that's interesting based on something you said earlier about uh, just kind of, you know, here's how you scale to grow and sell. And the distinction between being like, you know, a small advisory business, which if you want that, that's great. Um, mm-hmm. But like actually having an enterprise valuation, meaning something that you can sell to someone else. Those are very different things in terms of how those practices run, the services you provide, all that sort of stuff. So I'd be curious. Quite to... different planning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think, you know, I stopped using the lifestyle lifestyle practice kind of rhetoric as I talk about my practice, because one, that's not what I want anymore. And two, um, I don't know. I just feel like it comes with a little bit of, I don't know. Yeah. I think less of. Yeah, you know, yeah, less yeah. of the lifestyle practice. So, yeah, that's the first thing in terms of like service. Where I am right now in my practice, we live in a time that we have the most technology to do things more efficiently. So I've seen firms scale by like twenty five to fifty million dollars a year that are solo shops. Um, so there's a lot that you can do if you search for it with little to no help, right? Yeah. Um, which I think is important to note because when you talk to traditional financial advisors at brokerages, they just can't conceptualize sometimes the, the fact that you can do so much without an institution, sure. yeah, you know, yeah. behind you, but you can, you know, yeah. and you'll keep more money in your pocket if you venture out to try to do it that way. So in terms of service, I plan on um, leveraging a lot of technology, mm-hmm. leveraging human capital where it's needed, right. And scaling in an organization where, People can feel like they have some sort of ownership in our in our practice. And collectively, you know, if the time presents itself, figuring out if this is something that needs to be sold, right, or not. So I think yeah. where, where there's a will, there's a way. But 
it's just making a distinction between what type of business fits your ideal life versus because it's not big or it's not, you know, a huge corporate firm deeming it a lifestyle practice when we all are living some sort of lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you thought you'd mentioned uh, the technologies there. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I know from, you know, my day job at doing SaaS sales for advisors that mm-hmm. there's just a ton of tech out there and assembling a tech stack, particularly one that is efficient and does what you want it to and is, you know, a net gain rather than, you know, a wash or potentially a loss can be really hard. So like, you know, if I, I do have a lot of advisors in my network, mm-hmm. I'm sure they'd be curious to know, like, how do you kind of think about the tech that serves your practice with, you know, all the myriad options we have today? Does it help me do my job better? Yeah. Right. And I think that's the one, and that's the most important question that advisors should ask themselves. And I'll be honest with you, I won't say like name any technology, but um, most advisors, as good as we are with people, are buyers. Our buyers, like we will buy the thing that we think is going to make a significant difference in our practice when it doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. the thing that you need to be good at is um, communicating your product to the people that need it, right? And delivering on whatever you've communicated. That's it. That's like bare bones what you need. But everything else is um, a fancy way to do something that exists way more simpler simply right and i think um that's something that i had to learn i would buy things um and never use them or not use them nearly enough to justify the cost right so if i'm paying a $4,800 fee or you know $6,000 fee for a technology but I, I maybe one client takes care of that fee but that's not the point i'm just not using yeah. it enough yeah yeah to 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 need it right so um, that's my take. So I, I'm very critical of the technology that I use now because often things can be done very efficiently, simply, and I can still deliver high value to the clients that we serve. What What are like the necessary pieces that you need for your practice to, you know, run at scale? Well, yeah. Um, first of all, I have a I have a saying, Ben, that I use literally with everything, which is how I communicate or like my wife. I told you, I think when we had coffee a couple of weeks, like maybe last week, I was like, hey, man, we I don't know if I even told you this, but we're going to build a house in, in Midtown. Super expensive. Yeah, yeah super yeah. like for nothing. Like, why are we even doing this? Sure. But then we decided to get a home in the pocket area. Mm-hmm. Beautiful great structure we've remodeled that home and it's like on close to like a little over a quarter acre of land which is big in california right it's sure yeah Yeah. super nice now um and we're so happy with it and we paid a much less for that house than we were going to build the house for sure so i always tell my wife less is more when less does more right if i have certain components in my tech stack if i have certain you know, elements of my routine that can give me a lot back. That's all I need, right? Yeah. It does what it needs to do. So today, uh, outside of like compliance stuff, right? I use uh, a custodial platform that does my performance reporting, can assess risks, can place trades, right? I have a CRM that I use um, that's been awesome and it has workflows. I use Google Drive a lot. 
and I use it, just added Zapier, which is an automation. Yeah. Somebody like that's it. I'm golden. Yeah. I'm golden. Right. So outside of anything compliance, I think that's literally the core of my. Oh, and I use Right Capital Financial Planning. So okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. As well. So those five things, super cheap. Yeah. You know, overhead. Right. You know, and it's been good. Yeah, I mean that definitely covers like the operational side of what you can do for sure. What about, I mean, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but what about the marketing side of things? Like I have certain things that I use to try and get. What are you using? Oh man. Um, a LinkedIn automation tool actually is my, my biggest trick. Um, that's, that's a sales trick for sure. Biz dev trick, but basically target an audience, you know, craft a message, automate the outreach. And then Mm -hmm. trick is not to, sell something there the trick is just to start a relationship there right so Mm -hmm. um that has been probably the best thing i've used i use zapier too because it helps automate stuff into google sheets into my crm Mm -hmm. and then and then i mean to your point about am i using it enough i have some stuff in my crm that i could use better but you know it's reasonable it's hubspot it's not super expensive um but that's that's mostly it for the podcast and the insurance business right now it's you know i i guess to your point now that i think about it it's not like you're going out and getting all these uh you know industry number one solutions that you know ever like people like me in my day job would want you to buy right yeah 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 so it's I don't want to call it a waste of money, but I think that advisors have to exhaust themselves and the the things that are available to them first. Like see what you can do. Like what are things yeah. you can do and what can you automate first before going out and buying a technology that does one single thing? I don't think you need it. And especially if you're like me who's a scaling advisor, I can see enterprise advisors that already have millions hundred millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to, to streamline these processes. But most advisors aren't there. So um, that's my stance. And people might hate it, but less is more when less does more. And the things that I have today do a lot for our firm and make the client experience better because they know that they won't have to jump around on different things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's I mean, that's just kind of keeping like the startup mentality all the way through. Like if you don't have to pay for it, and you can do it yourself, maybe mm-hmm. maybe you should until that becomes truly unmanageable, right? There is a time trade-off, right? You reach an inflection point where you just have too much work to do, and you offset that work with tech people, right? And out, kind of outsourcing those tasks. But I'd argue that most uh, advisors haven't even tried before going out to get these pieces of For technology, sure. right? Yeah, And I think that's where you find yourself in a conundrum. You're like, to run my business costs how much per year? I don't even use this, 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 and this. So I guess my next piece and something that I'm, I've been doing frequently this year and last year is just tech audits. So like, let me audit the stuff that I'm doing and see mm-hmm. what I'm using. Yeah. And I, I can't tell you how much money that saved me and how I've been able to reinvest that same money into my sure. business. So yeah, actually... Go ahead. Go ahead. No. I've been thinking about getting an office space um, in that new part of like Broadway area. And it's like places. Oh, yeah. 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 By uh, like where the breweries and restaurants and stuff are right through there. Yeah. 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 It's like a nice spot, like 
good size. I can see our firm scaling. And had I not saved so much money through cutting a lot of stuff, yeah, yeah. probably would have been able to do it. But it's just like yeah. this makes it a no brainer if that's something I want to pursue, right? So there's a there's a for sorry for everyone else who's not in Sacramento, but there's a great quesaberia place right there called uh, uh, Benedita, I think, if I remember. Benedita Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Benedita, little window. Um, yeah. Place is awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, that's, uh, I love the idea of just kind of using the stuff that you that you really use. I, I personally kind of think, too, that if you are an advisor trying to understand your tech stack, you do have to use it, right? You'll never know, like, how good it is or if it's actually driving any real value for you unless you actually do it. Um, and you may find that, yes, it is providing a ton of value, so I'll keep it. Or maybe you find out that it doesn't, but there's no way to really audit the other things out there if you don't have a background in like what you're trying to do. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I've kind of found that out firsthand and just trying to get the podcast out there that, you know, I'm using some tools like I'm asking buddies like you and, you know, others who, you know, what are you using? And I'm getting different bits and pieces here but uh to your point earlier it's just really hard to use all this stuff and assemble all this stuff without actually kind of getting down and using it yourself yeah um i think advisors should really like advisor hat business owner hat these are two different hats that you have to wear Mm -hmm. and advisor is thinking about um technical stuff financial planning investment management etc Mm-hmm. and getting the next client that's like 90 percent of the thought process yeah but a business owner is thinking about the structure of their business the intent and why they're running their business what is this business supposed to do right and how or what am i leveraging to get all those things done and i think many advisors don't spend enough time over here being business owners right yeah and to be very good and very efficient you're doing both yeah and that's kind of been the shift for me in the last like two years, right? Thinking about the business and then working in the business with the clients that, you know, are going to accelerate our goals and us accelerate their goals as well. How, um, one of the things that I kind of feel these days is that, you know, investment management is increasingly commoditized. Like for sure. Um, I think, I think it's tough as an advisor right now because technology is cannibalizing a lot of what advisors have historically done. So the challenge becomes is like, you know, how do you differentiate, define your market, um, and still command, you know, the value that you need to provide for your family or just, you know, make the ROI in your own business. Um, how, how do you kind of think about that? Like it's, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, investment management isn't the value add yeah. that it once was. So I think it's absolutely commoditized. I was a uh, funny story. I was in LA talking to a CEO of a series D backed company. And he was telling me that he went to this conference um, with another really well-known CEO. Um, and they were talking, he was like, AI is going to rip the investment management industry in half. <laughs> He's like, it's over. Like we're yeah. building technology right now. And, you know, when people go to talk to a representative, the AI is so good that they're, they're not even going to feel like they're talking to a robot. Like, it's that good. Yeah. So 
what are you going to do type of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So in our conversation, uh, we began to talk about, you know, the financial service business, business, et cetera. And he was saying advisors can only add value um, by being planners, by literally showing people the way to get to their goals step by step mm-hmm. and then keeping them accountable to whatever goal that they have. And I'm talking about just like retail client investor yeah. advisor relationship, right? Not like institutional biz. Um, but I think that's the way forward. And then investment management is going to uh, increasingly s- supplement those efforts. Yeah. So that's how I think about it. And I think that's why it's important to get better, right? And continually educate yourself on a small, uh, I guess, specialized group of people that you want to grow with. Mm-hmm. So who, uh, you you know, your specialties equity comp, who, who taught you? this space like uh was it just running through all these benefit packages or classes or i grew up in san francisco and um you know on my way to school we'll go past market street and you'll see like the twitter building yeah and you'll see like uber around the corner then you'll see lyft right and you know that was the environment that i grew up in when i graduated from college my friends started to work at these places you know Mm -hmm. recruiters you know, software engineers, junior engineers, HR people, like all these different positions and we're being paid in equity. As I um, thought about it, I was like, I should learn about this. So I was self-taught mm-hmm. in the see like their benefits package and just went down the rabbit hole. Additionally, I was investing my own cash. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll invest in Twitter or Facebook yeah, or yeah, yeah. cases, right? So you get to like learn while doing in a way, but it was just being exposed to this space and being a financial advisor to say like, Hey, there's something here. Um, and then I, I, I was working at a firm when I graduated immediately out of, out of college. And it was this client that we had really old. I think at the time, I don't even know if he's still alive. He was in his eighties back then. Mm-hmm. It had to be like over, over 10 years ago. And I asked him on the phone, I'm like an investment associate just doing like some client, you know, service sure. work. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, how did you, how did you build your wealth? And I think his account at the time was like 36 million, mm-hmm. right? So I'm asking him, how did, how did you build your wealth? He's like, well, I had a friend, and he was an investment guy, and um, he asked me to like paint his office or something. And he was like, I can pay you in cash, or I can give you shares of this company that I invested in. And he was like, well, I'll take a I'll take half of the shares and then I'll take half in cash because he had to pay, you know. Sure. Yeah. He had to live his life, right? Yeah. Got bills. Um, yeah. So the guy, super old, this had to be like in the 50s or I don't even know. He was like 80 something when I was talking to him. Um, Comes to find out he got like 2,000 shares of Coca-Cola like way back, you know? <laughs> yeah. And those shares turned into the money that he had. At That's time. incredible. Yeah. So from that point i started to think about equity differently and as mm-hmm. i mentioned time influence i lost my father when i was very young he was 12 i was 12 um when he passed away sorry to hear that thank you and um i just thought like what can get me to the point where i can spend more time with my future kids and wife and equity was the answer so i think mm-hmm. all those things that story right um you know being in the space and then being in silicon valley at the right time kind of just led me in the direction to learn more about the power of equity, power of compound interest, and how you can literally educate people 
to you know increase your own equity to a degree, mm-hmm. right? So, gotcha. What uh, so like say you are um, I don't know. We got some startups here in Sacramento and a lot, you know, in the region. What uh, what is it that you kind of coach you know these executives on as far as equity comp goes, or I guess maybe more fun like what what are some things that people miss? Right. You know, obviously these oh, people are talented themselves, right? They're busy, mm-hmm. but um, you know, equity comp is a strange land. Um yeah. what do what do you what are what are some big mistakes, I guess, that you've seen people make? Uh business structure is a big one. Okay. Because you have to be incorporated in a way that allows you to have shares, right? So C Corp is probably best for most people that are trying to, you know, raise my raise capital. Sure. Yeah. Going that startup route. Um that's a big mistake right there. If you do have shares, filing a 83B election to have the basis of those stocks or those shares be at zero. So when there is a liquidity event, you don't have to, you know, the taxes will be in your favor. Mm-hmm. So sure. A lot of people don't file that 83B election. Um, figuring out the intention of the business. Now, if you're starting a business, you're raising money, like what do you want to do with it? Is the goal here to be acquired? Do you, is the goal here to IPO mm-hmm. because the planning will look different. Your bookkeeping will look different, mm-hmm. right? It's all going to be different depending on what you want to do with the business. And if you talk to people like, especially younger folks, they want to be the next Facebook or, you know, yeah. Tesla or something. Yeah. It doesn't really happen like that. Right. So yeah. how are we, what, what are you planning for? Are you going to, is this business going to be private forever? If that's the case, that's a different structure. Um, what other big topics that do I have in terms of planning? Um, tax saving. Or how can we save you more taxes, especially with pass-through businesses? Um, you're, talking, you're talking specifically how can the business save taxes or how can the like business owners, founders? Business and business owners. So I kind of work on both sides, right? Because I yeah. truly believe that for a lot of business owners, um, they're so invested in their business. Mm-hmm. I want to know, like, what, what are you trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. And what do you want this business to achieve? So while there are two separate things, the success of the business kind of ties into your life. So I'm kind of getting a full picture here. So tax savings for the business or, you know, for you as well. Um, and then lastly, I would say just retirement security. Some business owners are so heavily invested in their business. They're not even thinking about when they're not able to work or they don't want to work. Sure. Um, you have to kind of invest those. You got to invest now for that day. Regardless sure. if you see it coming or not, like we're all getting older on a day-to-day basis. So business structure, if you're in the very beginning, 83B election, you're raising funds, you want to keep the basis of that stock low. Or you want to have some tax advantages. Um, uh, tax savings, right? Yep. Business, and personal, yeah. Business, personal, secure retirement are four or five that I would... Uh, okay, okay, interesting. Um where where are most people on the journey that that you work with? Are they, you know, established business trying to scale and exit, or are you catching people who, you know, have an idea and are you know in their parents' garage trying to, yeah, make um, something go? So I'll give you an example of my last three conversations that I had over the course of this week. It's a Friday today, so last conversation I had was a business owner did four point five million in annual recurring revenue, kind of lost with like. The next, I don't know, level of growth, mm-hmm. trying to remove itself from the business. That was the yeah. last conversation I had. 
before that, I was talking to um, a consultant doing really well. Um, no structure. Yeah. Made maybe like 150000 but had the capacity to make a lot more. Um, and before that, I was talking to a deli shop owner who wants to sell his business. Right. So we say we don't have any minimums. We, we're feeling anyway, mm-hmm. but there's not an asset minimum to, to work with us. But I see all these different scenarios in different industries, right? Of people that are running businesses, but just need some sort of compass, if you will, to get them from point A to point B, from point A to, to their goal, right? Um, and it's been, it's been neat because when I'm working with somebody like a consultant who thinks they can scale this up and have a really big enterprise consultancy, I'm thinking about that $4.5 million person, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to get there one day. You have to set them up for, for that. Yeah. Um, so it's been interesting to kind of have uh, clients on different ends of the spe- spectrum. Do, uh, I mean, as a younger advisor, do you kind of get pushback here and there from people? Like, are you talking to people in their 50s and 60s just trying to, you know, sell or whatever? Um I used to get pushed back, but I probably look way younger and I didn't have kids. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. The the kid thing helps a lot. The married yeah. thing helps a lot. <laughs> so I think I, I used to get a lot of pushback, especially when I wasn't working for myself. But now I don't get any pushback. At least it's not vocalized to me. You know? Yeah. Sure. Um, oftentimes I'm not saying I'm not making, I'm not a salesy person. Like I'm not trying to sell you like, oh, this is the great thing ever, but I'll, I'll tell you what we can do. And I'll tell you my thoughts about your circumstance. And oftentimes that, that competency and confidence goes over well with people, regardless of, you know, their, their age or, or situation. Right. So yeah, man. I come from a humble place, man. Um, and I think that at, at, at minimum, bare minimum, you'll feel that in our, our conversations right and i think that goes a long way i would bet uh you probably get a lot of referrals just from people you've talked to yeah i mean i'm in sacramento (laughs) so it's growing the referral base is growing right but um it's been it's been great one of the things that i'm um doing more frequently now is like upping my seo and i have like a whole strategy to like you know get the google reviews communicate with people right i have like 27 blogs that i'm writing right now just to populate the search results Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things tie into that business owner hat that I was talking to you about, right? Like, yeah, you have to almost set your business up for success. So when that time comes and people have that event that they feel like they want to reach out and get help, you come up at the top of the search, the search rankings, right? So yeah, doing all those things to to make sure that you know our destiny is kind of not all, only in our hands, but we have a part to play in the because of the work that we did, the groundwork that we that we laid. So. Yeah, there's, I mean, the adage is, is always true. You know, there's there's no overnight success. Like when you peel back that curtain, there's countless, countless, countless hours of just writing blog posts, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's boring work sometimes, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing the blogs, doing the podcasts, you know, being out and about, but you got to do it because that gets you to the, the good work, which is serving um, and serving a lot. It seems it seems like uh, serving is a pretty big deal for you. Does that manifest itself in any other ways outside of the business? Um, anything absolutely here? Absolutely. It's funny you ask because I was actually just talking to another 
um, entrepreneur in the area right before we got off this phone call. So you talked about the Grow Factory in our kind of pre-show and just mm-hmm. chit-chatting a little bit. I was talking to Mark Haney before we got on the phone. Oh, and he is the founder, founder of the Grow Factory, right? Yeah. Sold his businesses for, I don't know, hundred millions of dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah. he's he's done well. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we're having a conversation. I tell him, like when I was on Wall Street, um, one of my managing directors used to say, okay, networking is one letter away from not working. And I couldn't understand why he said that. And the reason was when we go out and we network, like we're looking to receive something from someone else. Mm-hmm. Like we're looking to take something from them, right? Like nobody's networking just because. Uh, yeah, that's true. So networking is one letter away from not working. But if you're doing it right, what you're doing is you're giving a lot. Giving a lot of information, giving a lot of advice, maybe referring somebody to somebody that can help them making a connection, right? You're doing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I find myself serving first because I know that even if a person does not want to work with me, they'll leave our interaction better off because they met me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that just happens to transpire into good business in some way, shape, or form for me, right? And it might not even be from that person. It might be from someone else. Maybe they told them. Maybe it's just the world revolving. I don't know. But when you leave with that servant leader mentality, I find that good things often happen. I would agree with that. For yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not just trying to be a douche and walk around like, you know, do typical advisor thing. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. I really want to serve and, and help you to the best of my ability. Right. And I think yeah. when you when you operate with that at the forefront of your effort. You know, you you can't lose unless you quit. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have you found like uh, like-minded people in regards to that throughout the career? Who, you know, like professional networks are always a big deal, right? Like yeah. if you have buddies who can help with stuff, always that's great. Um, you know what? Yes and no. Um, yes, because I do think that a lot of advisors get into the business with the intention of serving. Um. And a lot don't, but those who do, it's interesting how like once you start making a little bit of money, it kind of kind of switches up. I've been saying mm-hmm. that a lot lately, right? Like, yeah. people are like, "Yeah, I want to get um help a bunch of families," and then they make two hundred fifty thousand, or three hundred thousand, yeah. or four hundred thousand, and like, those minimums go up. <laughs> you know, I need I need more I need more of that. You know, yeah. Um, so I've been seeing a little bit of a shift, and if you're going to serve, you have to. And service doesn't mean like you're just taking anybody or not making money right but it's like um a reflection of your character in a way that Mm -hmm. you are really here to make sure that whatever your goal is that you've outlined to me i'm going to work and and kind of bend to make that happen or give you the best plan and implement in the best way possible sure get that done right yeah yeah um Maybe last question for you, and then we can start to wrap it up. And then you got to go meet the wife and the baby girl. Um, how do you think about, you know, your family and being an advisor? Like, uh, like do you do you teach your wife how to be you? <laughs> you know, uh, run clients yeah. and be an investment manager and all that. Um, have you thought about how to explain these types of things to your daughter down the road? Uh, yeah. I've- thought about it first and foremost i actually was asked a good question by a colleague and we had like our check-in and he lives in atlanta 
Uh, shout out to him. He's building a firm. Um, and he asked me, like, so what do you want to do with your firm? I think he was having trouble uh, figuring out, like, what he like, what is this for? Sure. And I told him, like, hey, my, with my firm, I want to use it to serve, like, impact, mm-hmm. annuitize the income, and leave a legacy. Like, annuitize the income from that we make from our firm, um, serve and leave an impact, and leave a legacy, right? So when I think about the practice now, I'm like, okay, obviously my family can live off of my wife. My wife is a, the chief domestic officer, CEO of the house, right? Yeah. Uh, we want to have more kids, et cetera. I don't really think I'm, she's money. She knows everything that's going on in terms of money. In our mm-hmm. house, and she always has a walking encyclopedia, like to like try to explain to the best of my ability what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. But, that's not really her forte, right? I'm not trying yeah. to make her a junior advisor at Yarn. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And um, my daughter, fortunately, um, we can integrate lessons when she's old enough on mm-hmm. why it's important to save, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas our parents didn't have that that knowledge. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. money was a way for them to survive versus thrive and invest yeah. and be charitable, right? Um, so I'm confident that our daughter will have a, a head start as it pertains to, you know, the knowledge about money, what it's used for and why is it important to use it in, you know, very responsible ways, but I'm not trying to make her the next, you know, uh, Warren Buffett or Carl Icahn or anything like that, but <laughs> yeah, maybe she, maybe she will be, who knows? Um, sees your dad work hard and do cool things. I was talking about my wife. Well, oh, oh. <laughs> but, but your daughter. <laughs> your daughter for sure, though. <laughs> yeah, my daughter. If she wants, she could be whatever she wants, and I think yeah. she uh, she's starting to understand that because right now yeah. she's being a daddy's girl. And yeah, there you go. <laughs> doing well. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, let's see, man. Uh, you want to start to wrap it up? Do you have any other things you want to say before we jet out of here? Oh man, I think that first and foremost, this is a great show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, it's amazing. I think that you keep having conversations like this is going to take off and I'll be able to say like, I was one of the first, you know, uh, interviews on his show. So yeah, it's yeah. a phenomenal show. And I would love to do like a collaboration, have you on the Sacrepreneur podcast with me at some point. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, that'd be fun. You'd be into it in terms of like advisors listening, you know, people that are just in tune with, you know, wealth management or crypto. I really feel like this life is meant for you to make it whatever you want. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that when we're in the weeds of work, we're in the weeds of serving our clients. If you're an advisor or if you, you're going your nine to five, then you have to do your second shift and take care of kids, right? Yeah. Um, in this day and age, you can make literally whatever you want to happen, happen. And I think that I'm a living example of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing it again and doing something <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? again. So um, this, this Wealth Crypto podcast, this the vehicles that we talk about, stocks, bonds, crypto, all this is supposed to be meant to help you build and build yeah. your ideal life. So if you don't walk away with, from anything in this conversation, walk away with the, the confidence that if you want it, you can go get it. And I hope yeah. you go get it. Yeah, I love that. Um, the optimist message, I feel like, is too often not expressed. I think, you know, mm. if we had more optimists running around screaming from the rooftops, I think we'd all be in a better place. So. For sure. Yeah. Cool. All right, D. Well, this is great. Um, where can people find you? You know, you're in Sacramento, obviously, but you know, throw out all your yeah. stuff if you want. 
Uh, I hang out on Twitter um, at Desarte Yarnway. Uh, we have plans on having a YouTube channel kind of come out later on this year. But at Desarte Yarnway on Twitter, that's D A S A R T E, last name Yarnway, Y A R N W A Y. And our firm is yarnwaywealth.com. Again, that's yarnwaywealth.com. Thanks a lot, Ben. I appreciate it. All right, it. cool. We'll leave it there. Thanks, guys. Happy Friday. <laughs>